Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. Another week, another episode of an Immigrant's Life. As always, thank you for joining me. I really do appreciate it for extra content of an immigrant's life. And if you wanted to reach out, you can check me out on Facebook and Instagram at an immigrant's life. Listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we are now available on Amazon Music. Oh, for the Apple Podcast listeners, please, 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 if you have a moment, give us a five-star rating and a short, sweet review. That really helps a lot, the podcast. It gives us a chance to be uh, promoted by Apple. So please do that if you have a moment. And with that, let's talk about the episode. Our guest today came from a war-torn country, and she shared some remarkable stories that some might find disturbing. But it also shows the fighting spirit of her people. Guys, this one's a doozy. So... Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa Dalawa Tatlo. Today's guest is a human rights advocate that has a soul as colorful as a sunbird. And like the black iris, she represents growth and change. Everyone, please welcome Easy Joseph. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was so sweet. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Israel. I go by she, her pronouns. Um, I'm originally from Palestine, and I've immigrated to Canada in 2006. Um, and right now, I'm currently doing my policy masters, uh, hopefully to uh, make path for more advocacy work for myself. That's amazing. She's changing the world, guys. So you better watch out. <laughs> Are you gonna be a MP or the Prime Minister of Canada? <laughs> Um, I think I just want to focus on uh, changing people's lives rather than big picture politics. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We need some badass uh, prime minister because lately it's been questionable. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but you mentioned something about pronouns and I would like to talk to you more about that later because this is something I'm, it really uh, fascinates me. But before that, Let's talk about Isha's background. As you say, you're from Palestine. You grew up there. You were born there. Let's talk about that quickly. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I was born in Palestine. My parents were born in Palestine. My grandparents were born in Palestine. Um, when, uh, when people, um, especially in Canada, when I talk about Palestine, they often um, bring up the conflict between Palestine and Israel. And there's a huge misconception that um, Palestinians came over to colonize the land, that the land originally belonged to Israel, um, but that's not how it is. And I do understand that some Israelis do have parents that were born in Israel and their uh, grandparents are born in Israel and their great-great-grandparents are born in Israel. So unfortunately, there's this misconception back home where the land does not belong to neither or like the Palestinians don't believe that the land belongs to the Israelis and the Israelis like vice versa believe that the land does not belong to Palestinians. I think we are all meant to live on that land together. Equally, the both religions originated on that land, including Christianity as well. Um, uh, Christianity, Islam and Judaism. Um, and I think a lot of with the 
division of these religions and the culture and the language, um, I think people just forget that. They forget that we all actually came from that land and we all deserve to live on that land. Um, but a lot of the times, yeah, people say, well, Israelis deserve to go to visit their homeland at least once in a lifetime. And then there's me that's like, well, I grew up there, yet I'm not allowed to go visit there because of the war. So what does that say about me that I don't deserve to go there, which is absolutely wrong. But yeah, there's a lot of education that needs to go around that piece. And um, unfortunately, a lot of the people hear only one narrative of that story and they believe that narrative and they forget to look at the other narrative. Um, so they make up their minds just based on what they would hear in the news. Um, and of course, we all know that. I mean, now it's changed a little bit, but of course, like a few years back, Western media wasn't really for um, Middle Easterns. Um, we were painted as the terrorist groups, um, as the small-minded folks. Um, so that didn't really do us justice either in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Um, while other groups were painted as the intelligent ones, the ones that are good at networking, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that also like plays a whole part into it. Like media is very powerful as well in creating narratives. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit about where I come from. I love it. I love it. I was, actually, that was going to be my second question. They talk about Palestine. Because I'm not going to lie. You know, I heard it from the news, Palestine, Israel. They're fighting. I have no idea how deep and how inter like how the dirty the politics is, you know, and how the media, like you said, muddy up the conversation and just, you know, propagandize the idea of like, hey, these guys are savages. They don't know anything. And yeah. I, and because of talking to people like you and other more people that are coming from came from Palestine or their parents from Palestine, I did my I'd like to pretend I'm a researcher, so I just <laughs> Googled it quickly, watched some YouTube channels, and I think I'm a Palestine uh, professor now, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you know what? It's people like you. It's people like that that actually do want to take that first step to learning more. That's what is going to change the world, not just seeing a five-second clip on the news and being like, aha, now I get it. <laughs> like, that's not unfortunately that's not very helpful right so what you're doing is actually amazing just oh. going out there and doing your own research <laughs> i don't know about that i mean thank you but again like it's like a five minute google i watched probably two or three videos about palestine give yourself some credit you took the first step <laughs> I, thank you i appreciate that so growing up in a war-torn country were you in the fightings or were you like living, I know you live in a small town. So are yeah. you away from that or the whole country is like in fighting all the time? So unfortunately now all of Palestine is actually colonized by Israel. Um, I think if, if you go to Google map, it says Israel now, it doesn't even say Palestine anymore. Before there's like a little, little tiny part that yeah. said Palestine. Yeah, now like weird dots all over the place. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Now it just says Israel. So um, the whole country is colonized right now. Um, the town that I grew up in, like we don't really have our own police uh, force. We don't really have our own military. We don't. Um, we have uh, firefighters, but they're like a town over. <laughs> um, so if your house is on fire, Bye. good luck. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we make our houses from bricks, actually, so it's very hard for the whole house to go on fire. Um, but yeah, um, it's uh, because it's colonized. Um, there's a lot of things that we're not allowed to do. Um, we're not allowed to have police force because police carry weapons and and firearms. And when you're like colonized by a bigger, um, a stronger group of people. Um, they don't want you to carry firearms because and you're obviously going to start fighting back for your land, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, so um, a lot of the things that would make my town grow and establish itself, uh, like the resources that are needed to establish a town into a city, all of these resources are kind of taken away from us. We can't really have those resources because we're colonized. And because we were fighting with the colonizer. So for example, we're not, we're not agreeing with the colonizer. Like some, in some histories, um, when the British want to colonize certain countries, sometimes these countries agree to it. They're like, yay, great, like new culture, new language. You know, they agree to it. But for us, we're resisting it because we know the history of it. And um, we're very, we have a strong culture and we're not going to forget that, right? So we're, we're constantly resisting the colonization. And that's why um, we don't really have these resources. Otherwise, the colonizer would have given us re- these types of resources, right? We would have like an Israeli police force, for example, or an Israeli military, but we're rejecting that. We're like, no, 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 <laughs> you are not us. We are not you. <laughs> oh my So there's, <laughs> there's that resistance that's like, like, we are kind of like we deserve to have our own things and fine by all means if you want to have your own things too on on your side but we deserve to have our own things on our side but because the whole country is now colonized by israel we're not allowed to have our own things on our side now either and the living is not fair so Mm -hmm. even though um we're colonized people in their minds they think um for example um how back in the day British colonized Canada, like you start to make up, um, you start to build houses, you start to build um, like creating towns, etc., bringing in resources from your country. But it's not like that. You know, it, that image is not there. We're talking about soldiers on the street with their guns out. We're talking about checkpoints almost at every single stop. They have to like check our cars. Like if we have luggage, if we're like, going to a different town and we have luggage in the back they have to check it to make sure that we're not hiding anything in there like we're not hiding firearms or whatever and when they check it like when i remember i went back um in 2012 to palestine when they check it they stab the suitcase (laughs) to make sure that there's nothing hard in there (laughs) they have it or or to make sure that like maybe you like have a, a fugitive in the suitcase or something like that. Like, I don't know why they stabbed it, but like they ruined my clothes. They ruined my suitcase. <laughs> like I had to get a whole new wardrobe because they ruined it. And that's their checkpoint, you know? So it's, it's really not fair. It's, it's not fair at all. And when they come to town, we got a warning. We got like a 30 minute warning, like the soldiers, the army is coming into town. So if you're outside, like, please go back in your home. If you're not in your home within that 30 minute warning, you might get shot on site. And there have been people that were actually shot on site. And some of these people were actually children. Like I'm talking about seven year old children or 12 year old children that were actually shot on site 
because I don't know, they didn't get the memo, nobody heard or nobody told them that the soldiers were coming into town. So, or they kids that just being kids. Yeah, or they're just kids being kids, you know, like playing outside. Um, so unfortunately, the way the colonization is, is extremely unfair. It's extremely wrong. And it's not, it's not human. <laughs> like, I, I want to use a different word, but human is the very first word that comes to me. Um, it's not human at all. Um, there's a story that comes up to the top of my head. So we were at my aunt's place one time and um, we heard that the soldiers were coming to town. And then my mom was like, oh my God, like hurry quickly. We have to go back to our own home. Um, so um, like just to be safe. And as we were walking back to our house, our house was like only 15 minute distance from my aunt's house. As we were walking back, my mom saw the bulldozers at the end of the street. And then like, it's, um, it's like an intersection, like we could go either way. And then she, we stopped, she looked at the bulldozers, she looked at us, and then she was like, like, calm down, like, don't make sudden moves, don't run, don't do anything, just stand still. And we all just stood, and we were like staring at the bulldozer. And then when they like looked at us, like they took a minute to like assess who was there, because they have to make sure that it's not um, a, a, a fugitive or someone that they're looking for, right? So after they assessed us, my mom was like, we're going to slowly walk in the opposite direction now, okay? And we were all like, we slowly walked to the other intersection. And then in the other intersection, um, like that's when we started running because like now they're not in sight anymore. She's like, hurry, hurry, like we have to get home quick. And then we started running in the other intersection and then we could hear another bulldozer going down. And then my mom, again, she's like, okay, stop. Like every time we hear a bulldozer, she's like, stop and freeze. And then we would like try to hide away from sight so that they don't see us. Or if we can't hide away from sight, my mom is like, just show yourself that you're just kids. You know, you're not an adult that they're looking for. Um, and yeah, and then that day we made it home safe, but literally no one thought we would make it home safe. <laughs> um, my mom is like, we're lucky we're alive because as I told you before, like there's kids that do get shot on site. Um, so yeah, we were actually really lucky that, that we made it home um, alive. And there's so many instances that happen that are like that. Um, when they come into town, you have to close your windows, lock your doors, um, not make a beep. One time I was a kid, right? I was like very curious. I was like, Ooh, big bulldozers. <laughs> so I opened the window a little bit, just like to peek. And like, I could see the whole bulldozer head like move and aim at the window. And in my mind, I was like, fuck, <laughs> that's it. Half of the house is going to be gone. Like, fuck. And me, instead of like running to the other room, I stayed there. I stayed like looking at the window because I was in shock. I was like, oh my God, like, did I just do this? Like, mm. am I that stupid? <laughs> um, and then uh, thank God, it, like we lucked out so much. <laughs> thank God they just stopped, like moved like, away and they continued on looking for whoever they were looking for um there's so many so many stories and like i could tell you a million and one things about the unfair treatment of the colonization that's going on right now between palestine and israel like my neighbor's house got bombed just because my neighbor was chilling on the roof and he didn't want to go inside the house like at one point you also get irritated you know when they say go in the house close your windows close your doors close your blinds 
you get irritated at one mm. point. You're like, who are you to come and tell me what to do in my own home, in my own land, right? So sometimes people rebel and they're like, you can just fuck right off. And unfortunately, when they do rebel, they get bombed. And <laughs> he was shot. <laughs> they do. Very, very unfortunate. Um, so he was shot while he was at the roof. He was just smoking at the roof. He was shot. And then his sister heard the shots and she freaked out because she heard the shots. And then um, she ran upstairs and then she was like yelling, like, are you okay? Are you okay? And as she was yelling, like towards his body, like running towards his body, she was shot too. So both the brother and the sister were shot that one day. And also half of their house was bombed. Um, so yeah, like that's what happens when you have enough and you tell them enough is enough. They can easily do things like that, like kill you and your siblings. Wow. Sorry to hear that. I mean, that's insane. I don't even know where to start. I guess I'm just curious about the bulldozer. What's up with the bulldozer? <laughs> so when they come to town, they don't have Jeeps. I don't know why. They could easily have, get Jeeps to easily maneuver through the streets, but they don't. They like to show off their big mm. bulldozers and scare people. They're bullies. So, um, yeah. Basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They always have their big um, bulldozers to, uh, to, to walk, to not walk, sorry, to drive through the streets. Um, and they usually bring like five, six, seven. It's not just one, two, or three. It's like over the number of five. And then they like separate themselves each into like a different street because sometimes they're looking for someone. Sometimes like, you know, when you like get into that teenage stage where you're advocating and you're protesting and you're doing all of that, they don't like that. They want to shut that down right away. So as soon as they hear that someone's been advocating like back home, they want to look for that person right away. And then they want to shut them up. And by shutting them up, they either take them to prison or they kill them. So the whenever they're coming into town they're looking for these people they're like who where are they who is making a beep <laughs> mm -hmm. basically um so yeah so that's why they usually bring like five six bulldozers and they separate they go into like different um uh sides of the town um to look for the person sometimes they know them by last name they'll be like okay this person belongs to this family this family usually resides on this side of the town Let's go and harass them and see where that person is right now. And a lot of the times these people know that the army is looking for them, um, like the colonizers are looking for them. So they would hide um, or they would like run to another town or something like that. So sometimes they don't even get the person that they're looking for. But it's just like a scare tactic. Mm -hmm. I guess. How do they find out? Is, are there snitches or, or do they post it on Facebook? There's, is there even a Facebook they have undercover um, within like the town, unfortunately, mm. um, like undercover people. And these undercovers are very good at making you think that they are a Palestinian or like they are for the cause. And as soon as like they get information, they would go back to the soldiers and report kind of like the idea of no, not really like the idea of a Democrat. It's it's different. It's and these undercovers are usually armed too. Like they would have guns on them mm. just in case things get rough. Um, but yeah, that's how they would find out. Wow, snitches. Basically, yeah. <laughs> that's 
I cannot fathom the idea of living like in that sense. I mean, that's not how you a human person should live. Yeah. It's insane. It's yeah. It's it's very rough and it does take a toll on the mind. Like mm. when I came to Canada, I couldn't come to the idea that I am safe. I couldn't accept that. I was like, no, no, no. What if this happens? What if that? Like right now, I'm freaking out about World War III. <laughs> why? I talk to my colleagues about it. Yeah, they're like, why? I'm like, I lived in war. War is all I know. Hmm. I need to make sure that I am safe. <laughs> yeah. Like back home, our homes are made of brick. It's very hard to destroy a whole house with a bomb. You know, hmm. you need like two bombs. <laughs> But here, it's like the houses are made of paper almost. It's like one half and a puff and your whole. Bye. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm like, I need to go into the mountains. I need to um, uh, have a, 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 what's it called? A hiding spot or a cave. I, I need to start collecting Ken. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm constantly scared. I, I don't, I never really feel have, I never feel that sense of safety that my colleagues or or my friends or yeah people that I talk to have when they grow up in a safe country I I hope that one day I would get to that stage but even though we came in Canada we came to Canada in 2006 I I'm still worried that we're gonna go into war or America's gonna get mad at us and it's gonna invade Canada or something's gonna happen. You know, I'm I'm constantly worried. Yeah, it's called trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I have a lot of healing to do. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean <laughs> I came from a poor country and we were poor. We were far from the fightings from the area where they're quote unquote war, the civil war. But yeah, I still have that like I have that a bit of feeling of like, hey, I have to be safe. Oh, we have to store cans. We have to be, you know. And I don't know. Like sometimes I walk in the streets. Sometimes I'll see like bikes on the side of the road. Just some, you know, kids. They just leave things here. I'm like, how can they just do that? Like someone can steal that. Yeah. I still have that mentality of like someone can steal that. No one will steal it, obviously. Because we're in Canada. But still, in my head, like pick it, like hide it, like you know what I mean. Like we still have that rat, that pack mentality of not pack mentality, but like to save up everything and make sure we're safe. Yeah. You yeah. know, like yeah. like walking at night, I, it blows my mind. People walk at night, and I'm like, why are you walking at night? People could attack you. And then I'll remember, yeah. oh, you're in Canada now. No one, the chance of you getting <laughs> attacked is not really gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yes. even when I hear like. A little bit of a loud engine i'd be like oh the bulldozers and then i'd remember like no 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 i'm in canada there's no bulldozers here oh <laughs> my like, god you know when you're really really sleepy and you start imagining stuff of course like, when you're really tired yeah like that's what happens sometimes at night when i hear like a loud car going by mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah it's and sometimes like what's even what's even sadder is that people that don't grow up in these conditions will never understand no. And that's why whenever I hear like, oh, Israelis deserve to go visit their homeland, I think to myself and I'm like, they're already in their homeland and they've colonized the other people's homeland too to take over and, and 
put their language and their religion and, and their culture and, and their policies and their military in like the other aboriginals that are part of that homeland like those are the people that deserve to go back too you know like mm-hmm. and they can't we can't so you're telling me that the people that are that have already taken the the land deserve to go back to the homeland but the people that were kicked out don't deserve to go to the homeland like you know it's it's so upsetting and and they don't they don't know all of these stories they don't know these narratives they don't know how we live they don't they think that we're the bullies that we're the ones that are taking over we're the you know how the media paints us as the terrorists you know that's what they have in their mind that's why it's so upsetting but then at the same time i'm not going to go into my stories and tell them how i grew up and how i feel and all of that sometimes i just don't have the mental emotional capacity to i'm like going on my day doing my thing i'm like you know what like believe what you want at this point if you don't want to go do your five minute research that's on you that's not on me i'm just gonna go and drink my coffee in peace <laughs> yeah, i know i mean you want to you want to you want to do something but it's like sometimes it's insurmountable and you're like yeah i'm just gonna drink coffee man like i don't know yeah. what to, else to do <laughs> Like, yeah. that's why it blows my mind. People that are constantly out there fighting, voicing out. Uh, I had a guest. Uh, she's a she lives in the state. She's uh, undocumented, and she's fighting for it. She's out there in the street yelling at uh, Vice President Kamala Harris every day. She goes out, and I'm like, "Yo, girl, go get it." But I'm tired just watching you. I mean, I love it. I, I do. I sincerely support her. I sincerely support their group and what they're trying to do. But I'm a lazy guy, you know. I just want to sit down, watch, you know, watch Netflix. And <laughs> it sounds horrible, but I, I do. No, no, no. I don't think that's lazy. I think that's just you looking after your mental health. I mean, the fact that you have these talks or sessions, it's telling me that you are advocating. I but sometimes our mental health is more important than being drained mm-hmm. and just being done like at one point i had to um block all of the advocate social media accounts on my profile because i just i couldn't see that anymore i i know how unfair the world is i lived it and mentally i just i couldn't i was so drained So sometimes we really do have to do certain things to get back our energy. And if that means not watching that person fight, the other group that still has energy will do it for you. And then once you have your energy back up, then you can step in and give that person a break, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a cycle of attack. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I oh, love yeah. it. I mean, yes, mental health is very important and I love that it's coming out now. I mean, obviously, every time something comes up, people will jump on it and use it for their own advantage. I feel like some people talk about being sad, but they don't know anything about being depressed because there's a yeah. two different those are two different things. Being sad is just I don't know. To, uh, one day it's gloomy. You're sad. Depression is a different thing. I suffer a little bit of it. And I try to explain it to some friends and families and they'll go, just watch a funny movie. <laughs> no, it, like, yes, it will make me laugh, but my, my mood is still down because that's how 
It is. And I just have to fight through it. I just have to go through the feelings and the sad emotions and whatnot. And then hopefully at the end of the day, it'll be okay. Obviously, me reading my five minute Googling, it helps me, you know, find tools to help me go through it. But, you know, I love that you're advocating for mental health. I mean, I think I think it's very important. It's, it's a huge thing. And it's something that we sometimes take for granted. We don't realize how important it is. Um, we push ourselves to the limits sometimes. And we don't even realize that we're pushing ourselves to the limit up until that breaking point when we literally can't do anything. We're just we're begging life to give us a break. But <laughs> it should never it should never come to that point. Never. We should always stay ahead of it and give ourselves the breaks that we need, you know, mm -hmm. do our thing, focus on us. And also at the same time, maintain our life, do whatever we have to do. But mm. yeah, taking breaks, very important. <laughs> exactly. I tell to my friend one time that sometimes it feels like, I don't know if you know Super Mario, the video game. Yeah. It's like you beat the Bowser for this level. And then there's another one. Like, come on, man, give me a minute, dude. Like, let me breathe <laughs> a little bit. I got you. I'm going to beat you. Don't worry about it. But give me a minute. Yeah, that's how life is. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's just like, I just beat this big, this, uh, big boss. Let me, give me five seconds. But nope, it's coming. It's coming. It's like the ocean. Just waves after waves after waves. And that's I like that you, you to, yeah, go ahead. That's why you have to turn it off sometimes and just take your break. Exactly like life. <laughs> exactly. So who decided to move to Canada? Um, we had some relatives that were in Canada, but they're like far relatives. But like Canada was already in our mind because we had these far relatives. Um, and then my dad um went to canada like was accepted in 2000 i think um and then like first he wanted to go and see like if it is like if he can make a living if it is worth like bringing his whole family over and then after five six years um eventually like he established himself so then he brought us over um and, but yeah i i I was mainly raised by my mom during that time when my dad was trying to establish himself in Canada. Oh, trying to dodge bulldozers and bullets and missiles. <laughs> exactly. Man, your mom's a badass, man. My oh, God. she is. I would have like, yo, go. I'm running. You follow. But man, she's like cool, calm, collected. Yo, there's a bulldozer. Do not move. We're going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, man. What a... Yeah. What a badass, man. She she puts on a really tough front. I I noticed. Hmm. And when as soon as we made it home that night, she called my aunt and then she's like, "I have no idea how we dodged a bullet, literally, hmm. but we did." <laughs> she's like, "I did, I did not expect us to not die, <sighs> but we survived." Like she was shaking, but she did not show us that. She's like, stay calm. It's okay. Just make sure that they know your kids, that they know you're not the one that they're, you know, like I had no idea she was that scared up until she had that call with my aunt. I was like, damn, you were scared too. <laughs> <laughs> That's, oh man. Like when you were telling me the story, I'm like, I was imagining you just facing this tank or bulldozer. 
I'm like, yo. And I'm trying to put myself in your shoe. I'm like, yo, I'm done. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm dead. Bullet to my head, yeah. easy. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. So, you, I read somewhere that it took you five years before you guys got accepted. And then when you guys get accepted, you have to explain to people what's going on with your life. Uh, oh, yeah. Explain things about the war, the dangers on a daily basis. Who are these people and why do you have to explain? I don't understand. So um, it's something to do with the immigration process because we were coming to a country of safety, I believe. So Canada has um, like five elements to that it can accept immigrants. Um, uh, one of the elements is that you have to prove that where you come from is um, like, you're basically going to die if you stay there. <laughs> mm. um, like it's really bad war. Um, it's just not a living. It's not a proper living. Mm. Um, and like, there's other elements too. I, I forgot what they are, um, but yeah, one of them was that. And I remember um, like we had to, we had to first go to an office like that is associated with like, Palestine Canada immigration mm -hmm. and we had to explain to them like what we went through like for example like the bulldozer story we would tell them that or like how we feel when the soldiers come to town like all of that stuff and I thought like okay like I explained it to them they accepted us like it's all good but I guess not. So even when we came to Canada, like we had to go through a similar process where we had to explain again and again, like why we need to be here, why it's not safe to go back home or like if we get rejected, um, like it's like we're basically going to die. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I remember I had to explain it to more than one person. And like it's I was a kid, like I was what, 12 years old not even like 11. I don't think a child should need to explain these types of stories more than once. Like once is enough, record the kid, take notes and share the video. But when you're doing it over and over and over again, you start to like question yourself. You're like, like, what am I even telling them at this point? Like, do they think I'm lying? Like, mm. you start questioning yourself. You're like, wait a second. Like, should I tell them that other thing? Are they not convinced? Like, you know, and it just, it becomes frustrating. And you're like, why do I have to tell you my story for the fifth time? You know, like, why do I need to go through all of these obstacles? Um, but yeah, eventually we did, like, we were, we got accepted. We were left alone. And then we did our citizenship test and we passed it, thank God. And uh, yeah, we became citizens of this country. <laughs> Congratulations. I like that what you, you mentioned earlier that they there's an idea that immigrants migrate to create, cause chaos, to rape women and kill, steal stuff. Who wants to leave their home? Yeah. I love Canada. Yeah. I do. It's, it's my home now. But trust me, if I was doing okay in the Philippines, I will not leave the Philippines. My family's there. My, yeah. I grew up there. That's where my, my heart is. Why would I leave? I, I don't understand this idea of like, oh, you're from Palestine. I know what you guys are going to do. Come here and blow up the buildings. Why? Mm -hmm. 
it's yeah, it's yeah. insane. It's I really think it is the classism that happens and the systemic racism mm-hmm. um, that happens in this country. Canada is amazing. It is trust me, like immigrants in other countries don't even have um, the same rights that we have in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love it and I'm so grateful for it. And every Canada day I talk about how glad I am that Canada has provided me the safety. But there is systemic racism and we can't just turn a blind eye to it and be like, no, Canada is perfect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> it's not. Um, and the class, the classism comes from the idea that people that are born here or that pass the, the Western slash white look, those are the people that deserve to be here. Those are the people that work hard to be here. The other ones, the immigrants that just came, they're lazy. They want to rely on government funding. They don't want to work. In reality, according to Statistics Canada, children that come, that that immigrate to this country work much harder than children that are born in Mm. in this country. (laughs) So I don't know who made them believe that we're lazy or whatever it is. But uh, this classist notion needs to stop. (laughs) And sometimes when people just take five minutes and talk to another person and hear their stories, all of these stereotypes get diminished and could change. But unfortunately, sometimes people don't want to do that because when they are in these high places that they're privileging from, they don't care if that immigrant kid is getting the same opportunity as they are they're benefiting from the opportunities that they're getting that that immigrant kid is not getting you know they're like why do i want to give you my privilege Mm -hmm. so there's also that to it too sometimes it's ignorance sometimes it's just inhumane acts (laughs) sometimes it's 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 different things that go into it it's it's a very complex process yeah I I agree. I like what you said that immigrant kids that came here or children of immigrants work harder. Yeah, because they're going to get beat up if they don't work harder. (laughs) (laughs) You also see, you see the difference of where you grow up and you see the difference of this country. And you're like, I can make it here. You know, Mm. I could go far here. Mm. Versus if you come from a war country, you're like, I'm done. There's no future for me here, right? That's why when you get a new opportunity, you're like, I see myself doing something important. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that because if there are new people that comes here, like a family member or friend or whatever, I always tell them like, yo, here you could do the, as they say, the lowest job. You have a fighting chance. You can afford a decent house. I mean, at least a, a decent apartment. You can buy a car. Imagine living in wherever. Uh, well, I'm going to give examples. My f- where I'm from, Philippines. Like, You could be a manager of the bank and you will barely buy a car. It's not even going to happen. And I love that you said it. Like, yeah, there are opportunities here. You can, you can make something out of yourself here. And because of that, I want to touch back with what you said about, I read somewhere that one of your culture shock was that the opportunities 
in Canada that provides you have to work hard. It just it's not given to you. Yeah, yeah. There definitely are. Uh, there definitely is a lot of opportunities here. But yes, you do have to work for it. You can't stay at home um, watching TV, is relying on government benefits and thinking that you're going to make it far. Um, sometimes people back home think that's how Canada is. Like the opportunities literally rain down on you while you're waiting for them. And you're <laughs> like, oh, thank you, Rain. <laughs> um, it doesn't work like that. You do have to work hard. You do have to go get your education. You do have to do certain things. But after you do them, doors do open for you, you know? Um, and living is different too. You have a little bit of, of, of stability. Um, but yeah, like back home, when people think of Canada, they think, oh, we're all rich. We all live in luxury. We're, we all have it easy, you know? <laughs> but we don't. We still have to work. <laughs> exactly. We have bills to pay. Visa and MasterCard don't give a shit. They are coming anyway. <laughs> Exactly. And a lot of the population here is also living paycheck to paycheck, too. Um, but yeah, we the only difference between the poverty here is that you can still make a living somehow, even mm. if you're poor, even if you live paycheck to paycheck, you can go into Fit Basics, for example, and get 99 cent bean can and have that for lunch or dinner or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. When you're living in poverty back home, you don't even have that paycheck to paycheck, you know? <laughs> There's no government funding either. It, it's a war and torn country. There's no government <laughs> to begin with. Um, or the government is really just there to get the hydro bill paid. You know, they're not really there to support the people. Um, so even though poverty here is not as bad as the other other countries but still if you do want to be at a place where you're comfortable you do have to put in the work mm -hmm, exactly i want to talk to you about something because i believe that it will tell your story how badass that you are and how powerful you are as a person if you don't mind tell oh, me if you you're okay to talk about it i read that you were married before and then you got divorced. <laughs> I was. <laughs> so is that okay? We can talk about it? Yeah, sure. Awesome. What specific questions do you have in mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I read that, you know, with your culture, they were pressuring you to get married because, you know, you're getting old, Israel. You graduated university. You wasted your time in the university being educated. <laughs> And then, by the way, forget about those. Waited, wasted your four years. Now you have to get married. So now, and I read that you resisted it and everything, but you were so enraged and sad about it. So what, let's talk about how did your family decide which man to marry you and how does it work, like the arranged marriage situation? Of course. So my mom is very huge on education. She, I had a lot of suitors while I was doing my high school education and my university education, but she rejected them all. She's like, no, no, no. Education is very important to her. She's like, my daughter first has to finish her education and then we'll take suitors seriously. So I finally graduated university and I was 
you know, doing my thing, living life. And um, I had a boyfriend at the time. And because my mom is extremely religious, she believes that boyfriend leads to husband, not boyfriend leads to dating a few more years and then seeing if it'll work out or if it doesn't work out and then getting married, you know? She's like, no, no, like you have a boyfriend, you can't, you have to marry him right now. She's like, what if you find out that you're with a man that you're not married to? I was like, oh my God, so what? What if? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is the norm in Canada, mom. Like this is not back home where if you're seen with a man, you're automatically labeled as, um, I don't know, I I don't want to use awful stereotypical words, Mm -hmm. but you're not seen as someone who will never get married um, or not pure or whatever. Um, uh, I was like, mom, like everyone here has boyfriends. Like it's normal. It's fine. But in her mind, she didn't grow up here. She, mm-hmm. she doesn't know how the culture is. She's like, no, no, no. Like I don't want you to be not pure or whatever. Um, like you cannot, you absolutely cannot stay with him and not be married. Like if you do want to stay with him, you have to marry him. Unfortunately, I, I tried resisting it, but I would get calls like five, six times a day, how I have to marry him. Um, From who? I even, from my mom mainly, but eventually it did lead to other family members. Like my uncles, two of my uncles would call, um, my aunt called a few (laughs) times. Like it, yeah, it became ridiculous. It really did to the point where I was like, okay, like, yeah, I guess. I do have a boyfriend. I'm dating him. So, okay, fine. Maybe it will lead to marriage. And um, I, I like, I was telling him like how pressured I am and things like that. Like I was open um, to him about it. And then he's like, okay, sure. Like, why don't we get married then? I was like, okay, well, if you're not resisting it and I'm tired of resisting it, sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But marriage shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like, okay, yeah, I'll do it out of convenience. You're not resisting. I'm tired and drained of resisting. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it should not be like that. It should be out of love, out of this is the person for me. This is the person I feel com- confident and comfortable with. This is a person that uplifts me. This is my this is my person. <laughs> mm. This is my cheerleader, my everything. That's what marriage should be about. It shouldn't just be out of convenience and what will people say. It should never be about that. So, um, yeah, I, he was okay with it. I was tired and drained of constantly saying no. So we got married. I remember on our wedding day, my best friend was asking me, she's like, even he asked me, he's like, are you sure you want to go through with this? And it straight out, I was like, nope, absolutely not. I am so not sure. But I was like, at this point, I don't care. <laughs> I'm tired. I, I just finished six years of education for years in university and two years in college Mm. and on top of that I was doing co-op so I was also working I I didn't get a break throughout all of these years I was like I just I need some time to myself Mm -hmm. I need a break I will do whatever it is I need to do right now to get you off my back (laughs) if if that means marriage sure let's go with it um it was the biggest mistake of my life um I was extremely upset and frustrated with my mom, extremely upset and frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, my head, I was constantly overthinking. My, I, I had headaches almost daily. Um, I went into 
I went into a really deep depression at one point where I felt like my life almost lost lost its meaning, lost mm. its goal. And I'm a very passionate person. I know that my life has meaning and a goal. I'm a huge advocate. I'm like, this is what I need to do. But at one point, I really did feel like the whole world was against me. And I felt alone and like people didn't really understand me. And I, I literally felt like nobody out there understood me. And I wasn't, well, the issue with me is that I wasn't sharing my feelings with other people. I kept them to myself. I didn't even share them with my sister, with my best friend, with my mom, with anybody. I, I wanted to portray this happy person hmm. to the world, this person that was okay with everything. I remember my coworkers at work could be like, Ooh, show me the ring. And I would show them. I'd be like, so happy and proud. I'd be like, yeah, he's amazing. He's perfect. When on the inside, I'm like, I hate this. <laughs> I don't want to be married. I don't, I, I don't know if it was the person or if it was just the fact that I was kind of pushed into it. I knew that that wasn't who I am. I knew that that wasn't what I, I wanted to do. Hmm. So, um, after a year of, this going on i put my foot down i was like enough is enough and it was actually during the pandemic when we had to stay at home and not do anything not go to work not do grocery shopping literally nothing you just sit at home and sit with your thoughts that i came to the realization that hey i haven't i can do something about this i i have a uh a choice here, an agency. I don't have to live like this if I'm not happy. And it, it dawned on me. It's funny that it took a year, it, it, not even a year. It took actually literally for me to sit with my own thoughts for two weeks to come to that conclusion. Whereas another person would come up with it within like five minutes. But when we are in certain situations, we really can't think logically sometimes. All I was thinking is that I needed to make my family proud. I needed to pretend that, that I'm a happy wife. I have to start thinking about how to be a, a proper housewife. That's all that I was thinking. It didn't even dawn on me that I can take actions towards my own happiness and that mm -hmm. I don't have to do any of these things. And that's the silver lining of the pandemic for me, really, is those two weeks that I stayed at home. And I really did have to sit with my thoughts that I was like, wait a second, I can change this. <laughs> so um, I called for a divorce. Um, our papers were finally finalized a year later. Um, I moved out of his uh, condo. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm at a much happier place right now. I, I applied for a master's program and I got accepted. So that's another goal that I decided to do. I know if I was still in that relationship, I wouldn't even be thinking about my education. I'd be thinking about how to best pretend that I'm happy, how to convince people that this is what I want. That's all I would be thinking about. And it's because I wasn't happy myself that I had to convince myself that I thought I had to convince others too, that I was in this perfect, happy, newly wide relationship mm. <laughs> um so yeah that's my story basically. That's beautiful thank you for sharing that i mean it's beautiful i was like when i read that and i said yo this girl 
she's a badass man like i for the women that listening yo you can do something <laughs> fuck everybody yeah i had to cut off so many toxic relationships and you think that you would care you you're like shoot like if i do this then this auntie or this uncle would never talk to me ever again cool and then after i did it <laughs> yeah after i did it and they didn't invite me for dinner i was like oh thank god i don't have to go to this <laughs> <laughs> it's a relief <laughs> and it's it's funny that they think they can hurt me by not inviting me to dinners or 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 not inviting me to certain things and i'm like it's i'm i'm happy i'm fine i'm finally at a place where i'm happy before when i was doing things just for your happiness i was miserable mm-hmm. i was truly depressed <laughs> i felt like my life did not have any meaning and and i'm a very passionate person so for a, an extremely passionate person to feel like their life does not have any meaning that's huge mm-hmm. like you literally dimmed all of the lights <laughs> exactly you're like so. a palestinian sunbird that somebody cage in yo she's too pretty and too powerful and too smart for this cage man she got to go out yo it, that's exactly how i felt i was like nah this thing for me <laughs> that's amazing so how depressed and how disappointed your parents are to you <laughs> <laughs> um my mom has this mentality where she doesn't like to get into the relationships that we choose except of course what will people say that mm. you know but after i made my decision i was like yeah i'm getting a divorce she's kind of like okay like you want to come back home then i was like yeah sure if that's an option <laughs> and she's like okay and then she's kind of like very quiet about it i know that she has her own thoughts and feelings but she's not the type to share them because she kind of wants me to make my own life decisions without without her input um as long as these decisions don't make people talk about my impurities then she's fine with that <laughs> if Your they're just saying like yeah impurities <laughs> if people are just saying oh yeah is drug divorce or whatever so many women now especially in my culture they don't like the person that they're with for the first year or the first few months and they end up breaking it off like i was not the first case and i think that's why she was okay with it hmm. um but what made her kind of pressure me into getting married in the first place is the fact that i was with a man that i wasn't married to and that was a huge thing about my impurity and and whatever it was you know in her mind and she's an extremely religious person so i kind of understand where she's coming from mm-hmm. but even in religion it says that if you're not happy you can have a divorce right so i guess that kind of helped her calm down too <laughs> that i didn't live this perfect happy i didn't play this perfect happy wife role um so yeah and and things happen in life and she's also gone through a divorce herself so hmm. she kind of understands where i was coming from like if you're just not happy with the person you're with you're not you know you you can no matter how hard you try to convince yourself or how, or how hard you try to convince the people around you that this is what you want you just you can't <laughs> yeah you're a phoenix man that you're a phoenix yeah. from the ashes <laughs> <laughs> from the ashes you came out and just shine through you know 
and help out. Thank you for that. That's powerful. So <laughs> I know you've been working for the LGBTQ plus community. Let's talk about that. I am. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm a huge, huge advocate for human rights. And one of the areas that I'm very passionate to advocate for is LGBTQ rights. Um, I really think we're in 2021. It shouldn't even be a conversation anymore. You know, um, we should all be treated alike. We should all be treated um, fair with dignity um, just because you like someone that happens to be the same gender as you doesn't mean that oh, it's okay to be discriminated against, right? Mm -hmm. Not at work, not at home, not in social settings. Um, it, it should be normalized and it should be okay, even though the LGBTQ community is a small percentage in the population. But I think it's, and I truly believe that it's only a small percentage because so many people feel scared to come mm. out and to be their true selves. So when we do have that safe space for everyone to be who they authentically are, trust me, that number is going to go high. It's like 50%. <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> yes, it, it, will, it will get higher, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, um, I, I really, I think love is beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I have kids and my eldest one time, we decided to watch the movie Waterboy. No, not Waterboy. Um, uh, what's the the one that he was a daddy? I'm terrible with names. Daddy's boy. Anyway, it's an Adam Sandler movie that he adopted this young boy. So I said, like, "Oh, Adam Sandler is gonna be funny. Let's watch it." He was, I'll say, about seven, my kid, and we're watching. And then for some reason, I decided to go to the kitchen to grab something. I think, and then he goes out of nowhere. He goes, "Ew!" I'm like, "What happened?" Like, dad, there's two guys kissing. I'm like, oh, shit. I forgot about that part, you know? So I go, like, what's the problem? Like, do they love each other? Yeah. Do they hurt no anyone? No. Well, what's the problem? Let's move on, you know? <laughs> and I said, okay. It's so adorable. You know? So, which is, I was happy that it happened that way because it's, it, for me, it was actually easy for me to tell him, like, who cares? Are they hurting anyone? Are they, you know, are they hurting you? No. So leave it alone, right? I remember exactly. when I, yeah, and another story, if, I, if you don't mind me sharing. Here, I'm living in Montreal. As you know, Montreal is like big with, yeah, with LGBTQ plus community. The first year, I think I was like second year here, third year here in, uh, in Canada. They did a, they call it the Gay Olympics. It's like the first ever Gay Olympics. I didn't know that. I kind of heard it on the news, but whatever, you know. But that night I went out. This is like, like I was new going out downtown Montreal. And I was walking, I was walking. And I saw two guys, like big, burly guys. They were making out. I'm like, hmm, that's weird. So I continue walking and I see more guys making out. I'm like, what is going on here? So I go to my friend I was like, that grew up here. I was like, yo, what's going on here? There's like, there's so much guys kissing. And she goes like, you were in the gay village. I'm like, there's a gay village here? That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, that's amazing. And then I realized, then I connected that, oh, the gay Olympics. 
That's why they're all here. They're partying. Good for them. But <laughs> like I said, I grew up with gay, lesbians, and well, whatever else. I don't, you know, I don't, again, it doesn't really bother me. Like, I think that's more important to tell people, like, does it bother you? Yes or no? You know what I mean? Right? And why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> no. Um, when you said, like, um, asking people if it bothers them or not, I don't think anyone should get bothered by it. <laughs> well, some people are. Some people are bothered. I, I know people that are bothered by it, and I'm like, yo, why? It's not hurting yeah. you, you know? Like, And I think that's one of the things that we should... You, especially, and I'm trying my best here, educating my kids about this, that they're just people, you know? They're not perfect humans. They make mistakes. They make, you know, they make good progress in their own lives. But in the end, they're just people, and they should not be judged as, you know, whoever they want to be. Exactly, exactly. I think it goes back to, like, the division of people that we feel like certain people have more dominance over others and unfortunately in society the current society that we're in we feel as if heterosexuality has more dominance over homosexuality but yeah i i, I think at this point people should really get over themselves <laughs> and <laughs> just take a look at the bigger picture we're all human beings at the end of the day you know mm -hmm. and judge us who they are not what they are yeah, yeah. Yeah. So pronouns, educate us. Absolutely. Um, I think pronouns are very important to you, especially nowadays. You have to build a safe space for everyone. You have to make sure that people know that if they feel like they belong to a different gender, that they can go to someone like yourself and be open about the pronouns they use. Um, so that's why I always sign my emails with my pronouns and whenever I'm in talks, I what my pronouns are. And there are androgynous people out there that you can't really tell if they're if they use they them, if they use she her, if they use he him or or other pronouns. Sometimes you really can't tell. So it's very important that we just normalize the use of pronouns. That way we don't make a mistake. <laughs> mm -hmm. I I completely agree. But how am I going to tell that to my old dad that doesn't know anything about pronouns? Of course, of course. Um, that's why I, I really think that these things happen with each generation. Mm. Some older people, you'd be surprised, are very extremely open-minded mm. um, and are even more accepting of the use of pronouns than somebody that's younger. You know, so... At the end of the day, we we really shouldn't be very ageist and say, oh, no, that's an old person. He's not going to get it. You'd be surprised. Sometimes even old people are open-minded to the use of pronouns or um, to, to things that we think that they wouldn't be open-minded to due to culture or religion. Mm -hmm. I agree. By the way, my dad is he's open. He's liberal. He just, he, he, I grew up him having friends with different like gay men, women. He, <laughs> He doesn't care. If you're into party, he will invite you. He doesn't care. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know. So what should we do as this generation and influencing the new generation to 
make this the pronouns and you know taking care of the lgbtq plus community to be welcome and feel like you belong i really think we need to be very open about who we are um and even things as small as for example saying your pronouns before a session would just open a safe space for other people to come to you and tell you their preferred or or their needed pronouns mm-hmm. or sometimes people prefer to be to go by different names even right so just by showing and demonstrating that you are someone that they can go to that's already creating a difference mm-hmm. and in the generation that comes after us they kind of look at us too what we did and they take it one step further mm-hmm. So this generation, the one step further that we took is we're like, okay, we need like pronouns to make sure that we're not making mistakes um, or we're respecting everyone's pronouns or we're just opening a safe space. That generation that's after us is going to even take it one step further and going to be come up with something new to mm-hmm. build a safer space, right? So the more that, that we do, the more that that next generation will take that and build on it as well. It, it, kind of like a foundation like brick by brick so we got to here the next generation will keep building onto that as well mm-hmm. that's beautiful yeah i agree that's what i've been trying to with my kids i'm like yo just be a better person man okay be better than dad <laughs> oh you know no no you're a good dad <laughs> no give spend a day with me and you'll be like this guy is a piece of shit <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> i'm sure that's not the case <laughs> So we're getting there, but I just have one more question, if you don't mind. What's your goal in the near future? You mentioned the masters. <laughs> I really do want to get into diversity, like diversity policy. Um, I really do want to see a better world, a fairer world, um, and I really do want to focus on human rights. So that's where I'm kind of trying to head right now. Anywhere that where I can make a difference, where I can take a look at policies and analyze them and take in statistics and figure out where there's gaps that create systemic racism or where there's a policy that needs editing or shifting for a, a fair pr- process. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my goal for the near future. <laughs> that's beautiful. Like I always say, cloning people is probably bad, but I think we need clone people like you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Again, Isra, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Aaron, for this, for the session, for giving me your time and for taking the time to hear my story. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Again, Isra, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.